The Lord be with you. As we make our way through the Acts of the Apostles, all the way through to Acts 18 so far, it's worth taking a moment now and then to call to mind just how fresh and new this whole thing was. This Christian faith in its infancy. These were the first gatherings of believers, and this is what they looked like before there were church buildings, before there were councils and meetings that established an official Bible that everyone could quote or memorize or search for a proof text. Before anyone ever made a cross to wear on a chain around their neck, before a king would ever stamp crosses on shields or swords or suits of armor, or before nations put crosses on the flags of their conquering armies that flew so proudly over battlefields. Before any of that, this, this Jesus way, or simply the way, in his earliest days was a time where these apostles were sharing the story of the God who loves the whole world. Astonishing news of the Son of God who gave himself for the healing of all creation. Forever changed by their encounters with Jesus, these apostles were a new people. And with enthusiasm and courage, they proclaimed the hope of salvation. Salvation for the world. This was a real contrast to the god-emperor Caesar and the unpredictable and unkind gods of the ancient world. The message of Jesus was really good news for weary people. Bread of life for, for hungry souls. And for what I can tell, and as the passages in Acts show us, the Spirit was pleased to just drop this message of the Jesus way right into the mix with all the other ways of being and living in the world. People of the way bring this Jesus with them, this way of living with them into the mess and the noise of the public square. And the response and the reactions, well, they vary, as the stories these last weeks have told us. We can see this as the Spirit took Paul from city to city, sometimes warmly welcomed and other times brutally rejected. And as city visits go, Paul's time in today's passage went fairly well, I would say. A lot of good things came together for him. He even got a special vision, Jesus' assurance that he would not be harmed in this town which probably came as a relief considering some of the appalling treatment he'd received in other places. From the university town of Athens, Paul made his way along a narrow strip of land that connects the southern peninsula to the rest of Greece. And that's right, all you geography nerds, it's an isthmus. Isn't that your favorite? Isn't that one of the best geography words of all time? Isthmus? Come on. And here, Paul found himself in another great city, a place which occupied some prime real estate. The city of Corinth had been a strategic location for centuries. 
And it's because that land bridge was the place where so many trade routes interconnected, making the city of Corinth a, a busy and diverse and exciting sort of place. The intersection for languages and roads and seaways and cultures and religions and commerce, real estate and people with disposable incomes. What a great place to set up shop for a while. After the rejections of other cities, Paul in Corinth took to those streets. They made him feel brand new. Paul would stay in Corinth for at least a year and a half. And did he ever leave his mark on that church? Two of our most famous letters in the New Testament are Paul's pastoral words for the church in Corinth. And you can really tell that you're reading someone else's mail when you read those letters, because he doesn't hold back with them. With blunt and honest writing about infighting and controversies, troublesome Corinthian sex lives and weird marriages and problems with how they celebrated the Lord's table, what they could do with people who who ate meat, sacrificed to idols, men and women in their role in the church, that beautiful image of the church as the body of Christ. Those two letters have some of Paul's most beautiful writing, too. Sometime before all of that, in the heart of the empire, back in Rome, trouble had fallen on those of the Jewish faith and ethnicity. At least two times that we know of in the ancient world, all of the Jewish people had been forcibly expelled from the city of Rome. And this was one of those times. In Corinth, Paul met two friends, displaced people, who'd been kicked out of Rome in the purge of the city. People who practiced the same trade and even shared in the same religious background. This was a perfect match. And friends like these are a true gift. Priscilla and Aquila would be Paul's dear friends for years to come. So this was Paul's city. A place where he could earn some money. Other friends even come to join him eventually. What a treat. As usual, Paul would meet regularly in the synagogue, telling the Jesus story to the Jewish folks there and the Greek locals who'd been drawn to the message. He would argue the the finer points of scripture and theology. But here's the challenge. Paul's message there was not received by his own people. They really hated him. How many months did they argue before finally their opposition pushed Paul to a breaking point? And the long-suffering apostle finished trying to convince his own people. And then in a vivid display of grief and frustration, Paul stood before them and he shook the dust from his clothes. A bit of drama to break with his own tradition. From now on, Paul would be carrying the message of the Jesus way to everybody else. And for a while, this
But that has to come to an end, right? Paul's old adversaries in the synagogue were having none of it. And his influence in the city was just too much for them. Between the year 51 and 52 AD, Lucius Junius Gallio served as the Roman governor of the region. And his inclusion in this text offers us what is the most reliable way of dating Paul's whole life, and it actually gives us a fairly good account of when this happened in Corinth. With this new governor in charge, the leaders from the local synagogue took a political run at Paul. Before the governor, they charged Paul with persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And for a tense moment, the people will look on. And Paul stood before the people and the Roman governor, and he was ready to defend himself, no doubt, with a planned speech or just something really elegant. But Gallio couldn't even be bothered. He didn't even want to get that far. He didn't want to hear it. With echoes of Pontius Pilate, Gallio writes the whole matter off as trivial bickering. Bickering about words and names. A way to dismiss the beliefs and feelings of these people, discrediting their entire argument. Gallio's entire response to this pressing matter is, Roman indifference. Now, no part of this uh, satisfies the crowd's rage, and in a shocking turn of events, they lay their hands not on Paul, but on Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and they beat him in the street. This trivial matter is hardly a trivial matter for poor Sosthenes. As I've been reading this text this last week, the line that really rings out for me is Gallio's dismissal of this matter of questions about words and names. It's true. Sometimes this is how religious folks spend their time in what looks like a fuss over trivia. Bickering and quarreling over Strange and foolish details. Even when these arguments can have bad outcomes for other people. Not that long ago, I read about an 11th century Byzantine princess named Maria. She married a Venetian aristocrat named Theodora Duquena exposed to this man's charms and customs in strange new ways, she brought home with her such a scandal, a public disgrace that even drew a response from the Bishop of Ostia in Rome. Just what sort of outrage did the princess bring home? The bishop's response, a rebuke of the princess, went like this. God, in his wisdom, has provided man with natural forks. His fingers, therefore, it is an insult to him to substitute artificial metal forks for them with when eating. 
Forks. The bishop was upset because the princess brought forks back home with her. I bet that bishop was the sort of guy who only ever orders chicken tenders and fries when he's at a restaurant. No sauce, only ketchup. Thank you. Now, it is true, we church folk do need to take care that our religious arguments don't take us off track. The thing is, and and here's the tricky part, words and names, they're what we have. And how we use them, and how we speak, and the names we give people and places and things, this isn't trivia. This is how we make sense of the world and our place in it. Words and names, of course people argue about words and names. They're critical to the substance of our lives, the character of our communities, and the shape of our faith. Words and names. It certainly is true that church history is embarrassed far too often by what amounts to petty squabbles over power or politics. Even worse, words and names used as cynical tools to manipulate or control or dismiss. It's all the more reason then for us to take care how we speak. The work of honoring words and names calls for our care and our attention. I so appreciate all of the wordsmiths that we have in this community. People who give such thought and attention to our wording and our naming. It's a gift to be a part of this people. And it's 2022. We have seen the ways that careless words and thoughtless habits of speech can be subtly or unsubtly cruel and unkind and bigoted and dangerous. So much of the work of a people is a care for words and names. This is holy work. In Corinth, this was Paul's work spelled out for him, giving fresh insight for old words, words like faith and hope and love, naming new realities, even as he was discovering them anew for himself. And we, too, are still working at it. Our work is not done. We are still learning. We are still in process. With yet much to learn, we pray for wisdom and humility as we find our way forward. For my money, one of Paul's greatest lines was in our first reading today. We see as through a glass darkly in the King James, or as in a mirror dimly. Such a simple and poetic way of saying that we're all just muddling through with limited data. And even at our best, our way ahead is not always clear. And yet still we peer and we wipe at the glass and we see what we can see and we do not always fully grasp the scope or understand 
but we press on in faith and hope and love. Paul's time in Corinth would come to an end, and at the Spirit's leading, he would set out for the next city, which would be Ephesus. And this time, he would be accompanied by his dear companions, Priscilla and Aquila, pressing on in a new place with this same Jesus way. And the astonishing news of the Son of God, who gives himself for the healing of all creation. Amen. Thanks be to God.